This is Bill Farmer, and you're listening to Animation Fascination. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. I'm Mark Vibbert, and with me again, as always, is Matt Quest. Hello! And today we have a very special guest in the voice acting legend, Bill Farmer. Good afternoon. How you guys doing? Great, since you're on the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, if you guys haven't listened to the show before, the podcast focuses on the entire world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series or a film from the past or present, whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion. If it's animated, it's up for discussion with us. So, if if people don't know who you are, and if 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 they don't, then they've been under a rock for a pretty long time. Uh, <laughs> I guess explain to them what you do for a career. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I am a voiceover actor. Have been for the last twenty twenty, you know, about twenty five years, I guess, and uh, actually longer than that if you count my years in radio and and stand up. But for the last twenty five years, I've been voicing the Disney character Goofy. It's my longest running character, and gorge, you know how he sounds. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and of course, uh, Pluto uh, for Disney as well. So whenever you hear Pluto bark. That's me. I get paid for barking. Yes, indeed, fans. Uh, And many other ones over the years. Uh, Horace Horsecaller, his original voice. He never had a voice until we did a little featurette called Prince and the Popper back around 1990. Um, Still doing Goofy after about 3,000 jobs, and uh, I've voiced a lot of other characters, uh, Bugs and Daffy and Foghorn, Sylvester the Cat, Yosemite Sam, Sleepy of the Seven Dwarves. Um, I'm in a new series as Doc of the uh, Seven Dwarves, and uh, a lot of incidental voices in a lot of Pixar movies and stuff. So, kind of been kicking around for a long time. Oh, I was geeking out a little bit when you did the the goofy voice too. <laughs> oh, I sure be glad to do it for you. <laughs> oh, Sorry, it's making me laugh. Smile. From there, we're gonna get to our recommendations, and mine is kind of going off of our guest this week. Uh, is a trailer that I found online which uh, gives us a goofy movie had it been directed by the director David Lynch and it gives us like this very dark kind of uh, almost depressing eerie (laughs) thriller kind of version of what a goofy movie could have been had he directed it and it's 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 pretty funny to watch it so I definitely suggest watching that too and Matt what was your recommendation for the week? My recommendation from the week is uh, on Vimeo, and it is Gloam. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, it's a, a short film produced by David Eldwell and Gareth Hughes. And uh, their description of the short film is, Wandering a dark forest, a solitary creature encounters something unknown with only curiosity to lead the way. And the reason I picked this um, for my recommendation this week is it's a, it's a really cool um, composite short film. Um, it has CG and live action environments in it. And uh, uh, the character is, you know, photorealistic, um, you know, walking in this environment. There's no dialogue at all. And it's just, you know, all the imagery really just tells the story of what's going on. And I, I really like the hyper-realism and just the, um, you know, all the mystery going on in it. And it's just, it's a really powerful, intriguing film. And I really liked it. So that's my recommendation for the week. Gloam. Video. Awesome. Look it up. Was there any animated shows or series of shorts you've watched recently that you'd want to recommend to anybody to watch? Let's see. Um, well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I was really happy with. I, I don't have anything to do with it other than I was doing a performance on board the Disney cruise ship a couple of weeks ago. Here at the movie Frank and Weenie, which is in theaters now. And the producer, Don Hahn, was there, and they had a whole 3D screening. It was a, a, a big thing. And that's a great movie. I love kind of pop things. I love Tim Burton stuff, and I think he really did a great job with this this movie. It was uh, 
Uh, really great movie. Um, and so, yeah, go see that if you can. I'm not in it, but uh, my first <laughs> stuff, and I got, I've uh, done a couple of things with SpongeBob. So, of course, Tom Kenny is the voice of SpongeBob. He does some of the townspeople. And, you know, they always have celebrities doing a lot of the voices, which they do in this. I'm trying to remember who all they are, actually. But it's a great movie. So if you get a chance, go see that. Yeah, we, we both saw it, and we, we loved it. It was a great movie. Oh, you did yeah. see it? Yeah. Yeah, on board, they actually brought Frankenweenie, the model puppet uh, that they used in the in the movie. And it was interesting. They brought it from the Disney archives. And he's little. He's about six, eight inches long. And he's made out of this special kind of foam, which is pliable so that they can move it when they do the stop-motion animation. And unfortunately, to keep it in the Disney archives for a long time, they're, they, they're going to put him in the deep freeze because this particular kind of <laughs> it's only meant to get it get through the actual filming and then they don't care if it like falls apart and you know there's an amateur armature inside like uh, i've seen the king kong armature from the original movie and it was like rabbit hair on foam right it's all rotted down to just the skeleton if oh, you yeah. so they're trying to archives are trying to keep all of these great little things but it's fun seeing those i saw i think an exhibit once of the corpse bride and oh, what was she about a, a foot tall? And just I love stop motion animation. That's really what got me into this business in the first place because I love Ray Harryhausen. And this time of year, all of the Halloween stuff that's on the old, you know, it came from beneath the sea and those <laughs> kind of stop. I love I love all of that kind of stuff. I'm a big fan of the '50s kind of stuff. And uh, um, but that was that's one thing that's out there. Um, let me see that I'm in. I'm in, well, I'm on every day on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse right now. And when they show some of my old series like Goof Troop or a Goofy Movie, or I have one movie, which I'll let, that's yeah, a good Halloween kind of movie. If you ever see the original Robocop from 1986, I'm in that on screen. It's one of my nice. few screen roles. I'm an on the street reporter. Uh, I, I actually filmed that when we lived back in Dallas in 1986, and I learned very quickly that doing live action is a lot tougher than animation because, well, when you do animation, you can dress up however you want. doesn't matter what you're wearing. I had to be in a suit. It was August. It was 2 o'clock in the morning when we shot. It was 95 degrees, and poor Peter Weller in the RoboCop outfit, he was wearing like a wetsuit underneath all the armor there, and so after... Okay. They'd have to like blow air up his sleeve to keep him from fainting. At that point, I decided eh, maybe voiceover is pretty good. <laughs> uh, so I guess when did you first become interested in voice acting? Well, when I was uh, a kid, I grew up in a little uh, town in South Central Kansas, and I've always loved cartoons. This was back in the old days when, uh, you know, um, a lot of stuff from Hanna-Barbera was on, of course, the Flintstones and Huckleberry Hound and, and things like that. And, of course, I've loved the Warner Brothers characters ever since I was a kid. And I guess I just practiced that. And I was one of those little nerdy kids that, you know, I got to go in and watch cartoons and, and loved it on Saturday morning and everything. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd watch uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle and all the Jay Ward stuff was some of my favorites. And so I'd sit around the house trying to do a Bullwinkle and what a Boris Badenov sort of thing. And we'd get the little reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder and try and do our own shows and, and practice that. And, um, and I guess one day a friend of mine had said, hey, you know, I think I was doing the first voice I'm trying to remember that I ever did was... Probably uh, Don Adams, I've got smart. And uh, nice. I was doing that on a tape recorder and said, hey, that's pretty good. And I, well, it kind of does kind of sound back, you know, when it played the tape back, it sounded kind of like him. And uh, so I figured, well, maybe I can, maybe I can do this. So I actually started kind of listening with an ear to these characters and uh, started practicing them. And of course, on in when I was a kid, a lot of Westerns and stuff was on TV. So I'd you know, practice, you know, John Wayne or Wilson Pilgrim, get get them wagons in a circle. And, and well, go all done, Mr. Dunson. Here we are. You know, the old sidekick sort of things like Walter Brennan or Mr. Haney on Green Acres and any other voices that I could kind of come up with. I'd, I would just practice them. And my friends would think that was a great thing. And when we got old enough to, uh, like, drive, we would drive through places like Burger King and, 
they'd have do order in a weird voice, you know, order something. <laughs> in a, I'd like a scotch and soda, please. You know, and they'd look out, and everyone would laugh, and it was kind of a, a fun deal. Never thought it would turn into a career, but uh, I guess just an early love of animation and cartoons kind of led to this wacky career. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. So um, <laughs> going back to the Goofy character, so how yeah. did um, Goofy originally like come about? Did someone come up to you and be like, "We have a character for you," or um, how did that happen? Yeah, I was. It, it was a, a matter of being at the right place at the right time and having the right voice. Uh, yeah, I spent after my degree was in broadcast journalism, so I kicked it for around for a number of years in uh, radio, and I would create characters on the radio. And then finally, back in like 1982, I lived in Dallas, and there was a, a comedy club in Dallas. And with all the voices that I had, this little repertoire of voices, I said, well, maybe I could do stand-up. And so I, I went up on a Tuesday night when they had an open mic night and did a little five-minute routine. It got some pretty good response and started going back each week. And it just kind of started, well, would you like to be at the club in Houston? And uh, would you like to, and, and around Texas, I started doing the clubs and worked my way up to Middle Act from opener. And then finally, headliner. And, and there was in the early 80s when a lot of the guys from, especially in Texas and all around, there were a lot, it was a golden age of comedy. And I got a lot of great training from stand-up of how to, how to write something funny, how to know how an audience is going to react. And our house comic even in Dallas at our comedy club was Bill Ingvall from the, you know, Blue Collar uh, Comedy Tour. Who's oh, gone. Yeah. And he was one of the early ones that said, hey, you ought to really give this a shot. And um, I did it from like uh, comedy from 1982 until 86. And at that time I'd had an agent in Dallas and friends said, you ought to go out to Hollywood, give it a shot. So I came out here and got an apartment in Hollywood and was able to get an agent. And about four months later, I'd done a few commercials and a couple of, uh, you know, ADR things on uh, a couple of movies and background voices. But, uh, then they asked, do you do any of the Disney characters? And I said, well, I can kind of do a Mickey. I think most people can, gosh, oh boy, wow, if you can get in that falsetto, you're kind of close. And Donald was a toughie. Um, and they just wanted to hear everybody's Donald and Mickey and Goofy and stuff. And, uh, Donald is tough, you know. I, I can't, I can only say, <laughs> and you can't understand it. But, <laughs> yeah. Worst goofy son of fit right in the pocket. And he was my favorite character, a Disney character as a kid. And, you know, it was just, I just laid this down on a Monday at my agency, not, you know, and there were probably a thousand people that tried out too. And they called me about a month later and said, hey, they booked you on a little, you know, a project. And they don't say, oh, you're ever going to get to do it again. I thought, well, maybe time in a row or maybe two or whatever. I thought, hey, that's cool. So I went in and uh, recorded a line of dialogue and ADR to an old cartoon, and they called me back in about a month and a half, and and then and then again, again, and again, and they're still calling thousand different projects. really was just, uh, you know, uh, right place at the right time, and I had the sound they were looking for. Yeah, that's, that's great. So w what is it like to get just, like, such an iconic role where you, how excited were you? I I did not realize it at the time how big a deal it is because I was mm -hmm. new to Hollywood and I was so new. <laughs> I always tell this story. Uh, I met the guy that does Donald Duck at this first recording and uh, Tony and Selmo, and he is also an animator. And he was sitting there drawing Donald. And I seriously thought to myself, well, we don't have to draw these guys <laughs> for the voice and so i said when it was just i oh good you know i figured if i had to draw these guys i'm out of work so it was a very intimidating and scary experience but i had no idea what to uh, you know expect and i i knew goofy was an iconic character but i didn't really put it together that this is one of a very select few characters that has had, well, Goofy's 80 this year. He's been around for 80 years and still used as much as ever. There's only about, you know, a few characters that are like that. So I really lucked out. If I'd done a great Popeye, I'd be unemployed right now, you know? Even great character, they don't do much with the character. 
which of like the projects that you worked on as Goofy did you have you enjoyed doing the most from like Kingdom Hearts to a Goofy movie to any of the other various things you've done with Goofy? And Kingdom Hearts was an interesting project because it uh, I had no idea such a big game and it was first in Japan. So it's one of the rare times where I was actually listening to the Japanese Goofy in my headphones I had to put the English words into as close a time as the Japanese actor did. And so I put in the English words on that. And done five of those games and they're just just great. Of course, you don't really see much of the game except for our lines and get to loop. So you don't get to, you know, learn that much about the game. Um, I guess overall a goofy movie. 1995, because it's the first time many Donald, Pluto, and Goofy have ever carried a full-length feature film. So it's first full-length feature film for any of the uh, the main characters, and I was so excited that they picked Goofy to do that. And we got to do a lot of things with Goofy that we hadn't before. First of all, he was like a you know a caring father, and we added on that, which they kind of started that thing with his son Max in uh, in Goof Troop. And uh, when we did Goof Troop, you know, it was pretty much just basically the silly Goofy. And then we got to add a little bit more caring, and he's got this problems with his kid, and he's going on this trip. And still remaining true to the character was much more of a, uh, a difficult task as far as, you know, keeping it real, Goofy, and adding these new layers that he's never really had before. But all in all, I, I was very proud with the way the movie came out. It's uh, certainly one of my favorite, and people a lot of times tell me that it's their favorite Disney movie, which uh, I'm very grateful for that uh, people cared for it so much. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's one of my favorites from when I when I was a kid. I loved it. I actually found a, a thing today. Uh, it was like a video that someone redid and put all the the music together from that, and the, the music from that movie is, is great too. Did you do the this, the singing voice for Goofy in that, too? Absolutely. Uh, now, Jason Marsden, who played Max, did not sing the songs, and I don't know why. They used this singer, Aaron Lohr, who was uh, a great singer. He was in, uh, I forgot what, like a boy band or something like that. And he was uh, a really good singer, but Jason can sing, too. And I was kind of surprised that they had a singer for him, but no one can sing as bad as Goofy. Let me do it. <laughs> the very first... Day one were the songs. We did the songs the first thing in the whole movie. So it was uh, yeah, kind of an interesting thing to start it off doing the songs. And uh, But, yeah, it was a nice musical. Uh, they did have great music in that. And it, it was just a joy to do the whole project. Yeah, so one of my, my other favorite movies from my childhood is actually Space Jam. How did the roles come up um, for you to do the characters in Space Jam? Did you have to try out for all of them, or were you just like, I'm going to do these, these are the characters I'm doing? I tried out for most of the characters, and there was a big audition at the time for, uh, and Ivan Reitman, who was the producer of that, uh, wanted a casting. Um, Warner Brothers character is a little different some, than some of the other studios I worked for because different projects would have different directors and maybe some different voices. And so that movie had its own kind of casting. As Billy West did uh, Bugs and Dee Bradley mm -hmm. did Daffy. Uh, and I certainly tried out for Bugs and Daffy and all of that. But the one that they liked was Sylvester. And I went in. As, as Sylvester on that, you know, and that's, of course, I never do that around people because I, I spit on them when I, you know, <laughs> is that, <laughs> they're monsters, I think was the line I did in the movie. Um, and so I got to go in and do Sylvester. And as the weird way that it is, they hadn't cast Yosemite Sam at the time when we started recording. And so I did an audition right on the spot in front of Ivan Reitman for Yosemite Sam. And he had one line in the movie. I got that. And um, Foghorn, uh, Greg Burson was actually doing Foghorn, but for some reason, unknown to me to this day, they let him go and they replaced him with me. So I uh, finished the movie as, as Foghorn Leghorn which was a thrill to me because Foghorn was my favorite uh, Warner Brothers character. And um, it, uh, you know, got that great, I, he was, all, you know, I always liked him as a kid. Uh, I'll say that, boy, that, that kid, 
pay attention to me. I keep pitching him, he keeps missing them. So it was really great to do that. Uh, and also Ivan Reitman, who produced the movie and did not, uh, uh, he didn't direct the movie, but he directed the animation. And I think it was his first time directing animation. And he wanted to, because he's just a big fan of animation. And working with Billy, of course, and Dee, and all the other people that were in the movie was uh, Bob Bergen and as uh, as Porky, and all the other people was just just great because we did an ensemble, which a lot of times you get to work ensemble with the other actors. Other times you go in by yourself and do your lines, and then they just marry the lines in in editing. So it was a lot of as we were cutting up and they use some of our, you know, outtakes and, and, and little jokes that we come up with in the movie. And it was just a fun, relaxed atmosphere and a lot of fun to do. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, that sounds incredible. Um, so what are some of your, uh, you know, most memorable moments in like your career? Is there like people you've met or what, what are some of those? Gosh, you know, meeting fans, uh, Generally, recording these things, especially with Goofy and Disney, we almost always record them uh, solo, and they edit yeah. them. Together. We do like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, or even even we did a movie, an extremely Goofy movie, which was after you know a goof uh, a Goofy movie. And for example, Goofy had a girlfriend in that, played by BB Newworth, who played Kelsey Grammer's wife Lilith on the Cheers series. And but she was actually in Broadway doing a play when she was cast as uh, uh, Goofy's girlfriend in the movie. And so we had these scenes together, but I never have even spoken to her on the phone. Met <laughs> her, never talked with her, but here we're doing these scenes together. So that's the magic of editing. That was a lot of fun. We had uh, some of the memorable things, though, were like working with celebrities. We get to do that occasionally. Uh, there was a show that we did for uh, Armed Forces Radio called Merry Christmas from Walt Disney World. And we always had a celebrity host that would record ensemble with us. Every year it was some celebrity. Regis Philbin came in once. That was memorable. Uh, Whoopi was really funny. Um, Jim Belushi... Leslie Nielsen, who was a lot of fun, Ed McMahon, made Carson for him, and it was so exciting. It was, mm, that was intimidating to do that for him, but uh, that was memorable. Uh, Dick Van Dyke was really one of the most memorable because he was like, you know, he's like 90-something now, and this is the last one we did, which is a few years ago. And we do a recording session just four hours long, and so we usually sit in a chair. But he didn't want to. He wanted to stand. And he's like 90 years old, putting us all to shame, telling us all these jokes and just being great. What a nice, nice, wonderful man. It's nice to run into to people that are really nice. And in voiceover, you do. Most all the voiceover actors that I know are just great people. And uh, there doesn't seem to be the, you know, backstabbing that you always see on <laughs> like that no big fights no big divas just kind of people want to play and have a good time yeah um i i actually i work over at uh, fisher price and I've, I've worked on some of the uh short animated films over there and i'll tell you some of the, my favorite times at work are going in and sitting in on the recording sessions when they do the voiceover and just listening to you know voice actors just work because it, it's the most entertaining I mean, thing I've I've ever had you know had the chance to experience. It's great. Yeah, extremely competitive business because there's so many great people that you're competing against for these roles. But when you uh, uh, when you you know get to do it, it is the most fun you can have in show business. I think because all the people are great, and it is. It's just like being a big kid. You don't have to grow up. In fact, being a kid at heart is. Uh, the best way to be successful in this business. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, how is, I, I've seen that you've done like a lot of uh, voice acting for video games too. How is the voice acting different at all or uh, for yeah. video games as opposed to like film or television? Video games can be uh, very long and involved because there's so many different scenes in a video game, depending on what the player does that, Gosh, I've had games where you see the script and it's like, you know, it looks like the New York phone book. It's like hundreds, hundreds of pages. I think I did a, a game once and I had like, you know, 40, 
several thousand pages. Now, I wasn't on all of that, of course, but uh, the entire game and all of the permutations and where the characters can go just took a thousand lines of dialogue, so it can be very long and involved. It always, depending on what game it is, uh, it can be very taxing on your throat because a lot of military games and... Yeah, I remember one, I, I can't remember the game, but it was like zombies fighting the military guys. And I remember one guy, the director said, okay, now the zombie has ripped your arm off and he's beating you with it. And <laughs> now that you would, if someone ripped your arm, so you're screaming at the top of your lungs, ah! and you just try not to blow out the cords. And they always say that for the very last day so that when you're done, you're going to sound like this anyway. So, you know, add a few up your throat on the last day it's it could be very tough um i think my first game one of my first games that i loved doing was uh, one called sam and max hit the road which was a really great yes. one and the early uh, they, they i wish they'd remake that because it was one of the funnest games i've ever done some of the best writing steve purcell who uh, has gone on to work at disney and came up with sam and max and i was sam's first voice and it was a, a really great game, and I wish I'd get to do more of those kind of things. Yeah, those are cool. Uh, kind of going off that, which characters do you, have you enjoyed doing the most out of all the, the different characters you have done throughout your career? Uh, of all of the voices? Well, of course, Goofy holds a very special place because he's been the longest-running character and is the most iconic. The bad thing about doing Goofy is that it's such an iconic character that all of the other ones that I've done have kind of taken a back seat. And I've done a lot of other, like uh, I just recently did a, a, I've done an episode of, uh, you know, uh, um, Robot Chicken where I was Bugs and Daffy. And I was very proud of that season two act. I did Bugs and Daffy for this first time. I redid it and we got to do a thing. It was takeoff on the uh, movie Eight Mile, Eminem, you know. So they had Bugs doing a rap with Elmer. <laughs> and, and that was fun because I got to, uh, you know, uh, first time, the only time, first time I got to do Bugs. And that was fun. Like, I, you know, oh, brother, ain't I a stinker? What? The Looney Tunes were the Zuni Tizoons. You know, hip hop dog. I got to say great things. And then I got to go in and do a rap, and I'm about the quietest guy in America. I have no rhythm. <laughs> so I have to do this rap. So Seth Green comes in, and he's giving me line by line, here's how you do a rap. And so I was doing that as Bugs. He, Bugs, he would do it first, and then I would do it as Bugs, and we got through the session pretty good that way. He's great to work with, by the way. I love working with him. A lot of, you know, it's just, just a joy to, to get a chance to do some of these things. Yeah, I mean, voice acting sounds like it would be like one of the, probably one of the most awesome professions to have because it seems like you'd have the most fun and just get to, basically get to have fun as a career. Yeah, like I say, 99% of this job is finding work. The yeah. 1% is actually doing the work. <laughs> the time for different things but there's a hundred thousand sag members in los angeles screen actors guild members and on any given week there's uh, just a couple of thousand few thousand jobs so on any given week there's like about a, almost a hundred thousand out of work actors so it's extremely complex uh, you know uh, competitive and uh, it's complicated to get you got to have an agent. You got to go through all of this rigmarole to get the work. But when you do get it, it is a joy to go in and do. Is there any uh, recent, like really recent projects that you'd want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, well, I I just started. You know, this this won't even be out for like about a year, year and a half. We just our first episode of a new series for Disney, uh, and it's called Seven D, as in Seven Dwarves. It's kind of a prequel. It's done by the same people that do their series Fish Hooks, so it has a whole different look. And in that, I'm Doc, but I get to work with some of the best voiceover people in the business, uh, Billy West, Maurice LaMarche, Steve Stanton, Kevin Michael Richardson, uh, Tom Ruger, who directed Animaniacs, is the producer and uh, director, Kelly Ward, who has directed me in uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and I think I did a Jonah Hex video game with him. He's a tremendously great director. We're directing with him. Um, we just did our first uh, recording just about a week ago. So it'll take, uh, what, a year, year and a half before it hits TV. 
but I'm so excited that uh, I get to do another one for Disney that is is not Goofy and Pluto. Uh, Matt and I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming on the show, taking time out of your out of your day, and just coming and talking to us about your career. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you again. Uh, and then, where where can people find you online if they they want to follow uh, yeah. you? Do, uh, I have a little uh, website, which I've uh, billfarmer.net, and also my business uh, uh, website is tunehouseinc.com, T-O-O-N-H-O-U-S-E, Inc, I-N-C.com. If you ever want to come on again, you're more than welcome to, and really appreciate it again. Yeah, I hope I gave you what you'd like. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, absolutely, Bill. All right, from there, we're going to get into our, the new releases for the week. Uh First thing we're going to talk about is a few DVDs and Blu-rays that came out, and also a film that came out in theaters. Uh, two DVDs we're going to talk about today are Hanna-Barbera's The Halloween Tree and Tom and Jerry Tricks and Treats. Uh, Halloween Tree is an, a Ray Bradbury film from 1993 that I remember seeing... I don't remember if I had ever watched the entire thing when it was on TV back then but i remember i caught like the tail end of it or something and something about it like made me like uh, connected with me and i really liked it and i had i had never known what the name of the film was until this year when i when i found out again i'd always yeah (laughs) i always had it like back there in the back of my mind i was like what the heck is is this movie but it's it's a matt have you ever seen this at all the Halloween tree. I mean, like you said, I've I've seen like when you sent it to me and I like looked at it again. I was like, I totally have seen this somewhere before, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't know the name of it either. I mean, it, it gives me that uh, it has that like almost early '90s, you know, type of look to it. So it it just looks really familiar. And what's kind of cool about the the film is that it it basically covers like the entire history of Halloween it goes yeah. it, time travels go back 4,000 years to like Egypt and England France Mexico and like covers like the Dia de las Muertas which will be kind of cool to see when Lee Unruh has his film come out for Pixar about that to see if that'll be like a really ha- Halloweeny film I guess uh yeah. Halloweeny uh but <laughs> yeah, yeah the all that's on the DVD for this is the film, but if you haven't seen it, it, I suggest definitely watching it. I believe it's this is the only way you to watch it is the Warner Archive DVD. So if you can find that, I don't think it's that expensive either. I think it's like twelve bucks. Just check it out, and it's definitely worth watching. At least definitely this time of year too. So, uh, and then from there is Tom and Jerry Tricks and Treats, another Halloween kind of animated thing for this time of year. Uh, this is a DVD that has 20 cartoons with Tom and Jerry that are basically take place like in the haunted houses and like have ghosts and different things like that. And they range from like the really old cartoons that like you and I saw reruns of when we were, we were little up to like the newer episodes that they have now. So, and that's basically, that's all that's on there too. There's the bonus cartoons, but those also seem like they're part of Tom and Jerry as well. So no real like actual bonus features on these other than just the features themselves. So if you like Tom and Jerry, like we've talked about them before, definitely we're checking out. So the the next thing I got uh, it was a Blu-ray that came out recently was Batman: The Dark Knight Returns Part One, which is DC Universe's uh, the DC Universe animated uh, animation release, uh, and it's an adaptation of the the graphic novel by Frank Miller. And I think this would have to be the best animated adaptation they've done so far for any of their films. The artwork in this is great. Uh, the voice acting is awesome. And uh, Peter Weller, who did the voice of Robocop, <laughs> the, <laughs> does the voice of Bruce Wayne, Batman in this, which is pretty awesome. And I'm looking forward to part two of this. It's going to be coming out closer to uh, this winter, like January, February. Um Michael Emerson, who played Ben on Lost, is going to be doing the voice of the Joker in that. So I'm looking forward to part two of that. And again, animation always looks great on Blu-ray, and that's that's no exception with that as well. And the next thing, Cinderella was finally released on Blu-ray by Disney, and like all of Disney's films on Blu-ray, it looks fantastic. 
it looks like it was made yesterday, even though it was made 60 years ago. Uh, it was it looks really great, and the fact that it was done by four by three, they have their Disney magic screen thing where they fill in the black bars on the left and right with like artwork that makes it look more appealing than those black bars. Uh, what kind of stinks about this is that I guess if you had the DVD they released back, the Platinum Edition DVD, that it basically has all of those features, which is which is great, which I'm glad I, I got this now because I never had that, that DVD. So it was, it was nice to go back through and watch some of the features on this because there's a round table on there where like Brad Bird and Don Hahn, uh, Glenn Keane are all like geeking out and talking about the Disney's Nine Old Men. So that was a really cool uh, feature on there to, to watch. And, and then there's another one on there talking about Mary Blair's artwork that Pete Docter from Pixar is on as well. So it's cool. Basically, all the, the old features on this are the best features. And then the like the new ones they put on here. There's a Tangled Ever After short, which I'm sure you've seen that, right, Matt? Yeah, I've seen that one. Which it kind of feels out of place on the Cinderella Blu-ray. It's, you but, know, themed. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that was the only place they, they could stick it after it came out, and Tangled had already been put out on Blu-ray, so closest thing they could find for it. But that's a that's a great short. We talked to Darren about this last week, and he had worked on it, and it's funny, and it was great to see in HD finally, because I had gotten it off iTunes a few months back, but for some reason on iTunes it wasn't in HD, so it was nice to see it in its full HD-ness yes. and, <laughs> and enjoy it that way. Uh, and then, like, some of the other stuff on there is basically there's a thing about the real fairy godmother, which is the animator who made the fairy godmother in the film. It's based on his, his wife, and it talks about her life and whatnot, so... That's kind yeah, of a cool I, feature. I, I saw the pit, like the you know live, like the real life picture of her, and it's creepy how you know similar it looks to the actual cartoon. Oh yeah, oh, and then and then there's like two other things on there that are kind of almost like commercials. So there's uh, I remember what his name is, but there's an Italian shoe designer with like there's little bits of animation in that, and he's essentially designing a shoe, and it's Cinderella themed in that, I guess, but. Yeah. Other than that, it doesn't really have anything to do with the film. <laughs> and then the other thing is kind of like a blatant Disney self-promotion for them expanding their fantasy land in Disney World, uh, which is hosted by Jennifer Goodwin, who plays Snow White on Once Upon a Time, which I think, like, I like Jennifer Goodwin, but I think it would have been, if they were going to go with that, they should have had the actress who plays Cinderella on Once Upon a Time do the feature if it was going to be on the Cinderella Blu-ray and it, it's kind of cool to see what they're going to be expanding with Fantasyland but again that doesn't really have anything to do with Cinderella because other than the princess thing yeah even if you don't have Cinderella in your collection it's definitely worth adding because it's a Disney classic and you want to have it in there with the rest of them uh, and then the last thing was released in theaters this week uh, both of us got to go see this was Frankenweenie Frankenweenie so what did what did you think about Frankenweenie Matt I, I thought it was great. Um, the fact that it's in black and white just kind of blew my mind. Um, I mean, that's what I was looking forward to, to seeing it. But uh, it's just, it's not an easy thing to film a black and white movie. You just have to have the right contrast and lighting in every scene just to, you know, make it look as good as it is. So, right. like, the, throughout the whole movie, every single scene, I was like, wow, that looks great in black and white. That looks great in black and white. So it, it was really good. And the storyline was was great. And, uh, you know, I really liked uh, the end where, you know, all the creatures started coming to life. And that yeah. was, uh, it was very, uh, you know, Frankenstein. And even, like, his parents were last name Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. That was pretty funny. And there was one um, Easter egg that I did notice in the movie. Um, and it's the one, it's... um. It's on, uh, in the carnival, and uh, it's at it oh, like the, the camera pans past the movie theater. Yeah, the, the, on the marquee. And on the marquee, it's right there. Should we give that away? Yeah, because it's not something you have to look for that hard, I guess, in the movie. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it it says Bambi right there on the uh, on the video or the movie theater marquee. So I thought that was kind of an interesting easter egg that they threw in there yeah, it was kind of cool because it almost gives you like a, a timeline wise of when the movie is supposed to be taking place yeah and w i noticed that they actually had like the old bambi movie posters like 
on the wall at the that theater too. So that was cool to see that. And I I wonder like what the choice was to pick Bambi of of like all the, the older Disney films. Well, it's like it's you know, Frank and Weenie, uh, you know, coming back to life is kind of like you know Bambi died. <laughs> He died. Yeah. Bambi freaking died, and then Bambi he didn't just came die. Back to life. Yeah, he did. Bambi did not die. He got shot, and then he came back. To Bambi's life. Bambi's mother died. Bambi's mother got very, shot at the very end of the movie. He doesn't get he got, shot. He gets shot. Oh, he doesn't. He does. No, he does not. All right, I need to watch Bambi again. You remember the end when he's you know like grown up, and yeah. then he gets shot, and then he's like they're like get up, Bambi, and then he gets up. He was dead. He he came back to life, and that's why they put him in Frankenweenie, because it's similar. I don't know. I remember there was fire, and he fought another another buck, and then he fell off a rock, and then he got I, shot. I'm... He did get shot by one of the hunters. Yeah. Uh, I I guess we'll we'll have to, we'll have to have people let us know what they think. We'll go back and double check ourselves, but I don't think he does. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure he doesn't die, but I'm just saying that because it's like I'm trying to reference it to Frankenweenie and trying to make a similarity there. But I yeah. think he does. Like it really, I really think he does die, and then he just comes back to life. We'll have to check that out. But yeah, I mean, I I really liked Frankenweenie as well. I thought it was cool that that my son Patrick could enjoy it. He liked it a lot, uh, and that also like we could enjoy it and enjoy like all the the classic. Uh, monster references and stuff like that in the film and i just i just enjoyed everything about it i thought the animation was great and what was kind of cool is i got to go to a amc did this thing where they did a double feature of where they called it a tim burton monster mashup where they played peter or i, don't know, I was gonna say peter uh nightmare before christmas in 3d and then they played frank and weenie in 3d right after it so that was great to see nightmare before christmas again in theaters because the last time they played that in theaters, I remember I bought a ticket, two tickets, and I watched it back to back. That's just how much I like Nightmare Before Christmas. But uh, yeah, that, so that was great. That and it was cool to kind of see how animation, stop motion animation, has progressed from for Tim Burton uh, with his designs for that up to now with Frank and Weenie. So that was kind of cool to see that progression as well. But yeah, those are our reviews for the week. And then the news, uh, you have two. A little snippets about two uh, Blu-rays that are going to come out. Paranorman has got a Blu-ray release date of November 27th, which I'm pretty excited about. That seems fast. But yeah, I, that was, came out quick. But I, I really don't care because I liked the movie a lot, and I'll be happy to own it as fast as possible. Yeah, that'll be one of the one of the few I pick up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the, the next one is that Peter Pan is going to be coming out on Disney's Diamond Edition Blu-ray in the spring, which which is awesome. But also disappointed at the same time because originally when Lady and the Tramp came out this spring, it said that Aladdin would be the, the next one that came out next spring. Oh, I can't wait for Aladdin to come out. And now I'm hearing and seeing that Aladdin might not come out in the spring. I'm hoping that's wrong because I don't know why they would... Hey, maybe maybe they're just working on it really hard and they just need a little more time. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, they already missed the 20th anniversary for it this year. I mean, it would be cool if... Maybe both Peter Pan and Aladdin come out at the same time on Disney Diamond Edition Blu-rays. That'd be cool. I'd, hey, be, fi- I'd be fine I'd with say that. Just take their time. Make it right. Just yeah. make it right. And then The Little Mermaid is coming out next fall on the Diamond Edition Blu-ray. So those are definitely worth the add to your collection. All, like, I, I would love to have all of the, the 50 or 51 at this time, right when Record Ralph comes out, 52, canon disney animated features on blu-ray at some point because it seems like they wait too long to release all of these and then when they finally get the last one out then it's the next format and you're like darn yeah, they're but, gonna, i mean someday blu-ray is going to be obsolete and it's going to be like something other crazy and you're going to have to collect all that yeah i just hope it doesn't go to just straight hd uh, digital downloads because i always like having something physical in my hand, I don't want to have to rely on having it on like a hard drive somewhere, and then something happens to that hard drive, and look, my entire movie collection is gone. Yeah, de- definitely those will be worth checking out. Uh, the next thing is kind of somewhat depressing in that Leica has passed on Henry Selleck's Shadow King film after Disney had dropped it, and he was already like halfway into the production for this. Uh, the project's now dead, and apparently they already spent like $50 million or so on the film, 
kind of and it kind of stinks because when they do if it does get picked back up again they're gonna have to start all over because of it being stop motion animation they're not gonna be able to use any of that stuff because of sets they would have had to take down by now and yeah because everything would be out of place yeah so they're gonna have to start completely from hopefully at least they can hold on to all the puppets and whatnot that they would have made the film so that they can use those when hopefully they could do this and i would i would suggest that henry Selleck start like a kickstarter campaign because he could get the the film funded no problem even with all his, the fans that henry Selleck has i'm sure all of us would be willing to give him five to ten dollars and enough people do that that would definitely fund fund the movie no problem that's my suggestion to, to henry Selleck. uh and then the next thing is that looney tunes is going to be rebooted in a feature film scripted by jenny slate who's on saturday night live this is kind of interesting it's going to be like another live action animation film with kind of like along the lines of space jam (laughs) or looney tunes back in action but i guess it's going to kind of reboot like i said like essentially the characters of all of bugs and daffy and everybody else i don't know exactly what that would mean to reboot the Looney Tunes, you know what I, you yeah. know what I mean, because they don't like really have any like origin other than. It's like, weird. It's like I don't like seeing you know, anime like the animation in live action except for Space Jam. So if they do do this, uh, <laughs> Looney Tunes rebooted, uh, Michael Jordan has to be in it. Well, Space Space Jam worked too because like the movie starts off in live action and like yeah. it has its animation bits, and then Michael Jordan gets pulled to the animation world and not. The other way around with them getting pulled to the live action world and it like he's there's just a live action dude in this animated world and it's cool to see that and then i've actually talking about this is i don't remember which basketball player it was because i don't really watch basketball I watch hockey but um what there's a, a big basketball player like nowadays that wants to do a space jam 2 where he would be the character the michael jordan character in it so It'd be interesting to see if that happens or if this is part of that same thing. Well, it's just, you know, Michael Jordan and Bill Murray, like yeah, his oh, character, yeah, they're just good for, you know, working with. Charles Barkley was awesome in it, too. Yeah. yeah. I, and I also liked that Michael Jordan had his dog's name was Charles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last bit of thing on our new slate is that the podcast awards uh, have begun taking nominations. So if you guys feel so inclined to be nice enough or if you want to you can go to podcastawards.com and nominate us for a award that we could possibly win uh, and that that'd be that would be great to have just as an accolade for our podcast with putting it out to you guys but thanks. we put a lot of work into the show so yeah. it'd be nice if we could get some feedback yeah so and we also picked a winner for our paranormal contest finally by doing remember random number generator of the people that did enter in and submit their uh, submissions for the contest did email the winner if you can't get back to us within the next week or so we will email do the random number generate jeez man that's tough to say really fast the <laughs> random number generator again and pick a another winner so definitely get a hold of us if he did email you about it because it's it's a great set of stuff so if very if, cool if you guys enjoyed the movie and you entered the contest and we emailed you please get back to us uh and then from there we're gonna get into new trailers the two new trailers this week were dreamworks the crudes which this trailer looks pretty awesome have you got a chance to watch this yet matt i did i actually saw it before frankenweenie in the theater the other day and what um, what did you think about it I mean, this, it didn't seem like it had a very good storyline to it, but the um, the environment looked beautiful. I mean, it looks it looks like it's gonna be a really good looking movie, but the I don't know the cave the cave girl looking thing kind of creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's cavemen. They they didn't look all pretty back then. Yep, and neither but... did they do in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm I'm kind of. I'm excited for this because I like the voice cast for this. Emma Stone, Clark uh, Duke, and Nicolas Cage and whatnot. Uh, and it's it's from like the same creative people that brought us uh, How to Train Your Dragon. So 
I'm hopeful for the film because of that, because How to Train Your Dragon was so good. Uh, and I, like you said, I liked, I, I liked how this, the trailer was edited too. It, was, it gave you a good idea of what the story is going to be, like the setup for the story, and then kind of shows you all these little actiony bits of it. So I'm definitely excited to see a full theatrical trailer for this and what the possibilities of this film are. And uh, from there, we got an international uh, trailer for Wreck-It Ralph this week, which showed a little bit more footage from the film. It spends a lot of time in the Sugar Rush world. And the thing I liked most about this trailer, <laughs> weirdly enough, was the opening where it has the 8-bit version of the Walt Disney Pictures logo. Because so, when Scott Pilgrim came out, I loved that they, they did the Universal logo in 8-bit, and then they had the 8-bit music playing over that. So... Yeah, and we're gonna get an eight-bit version of the music of like the opening Disney music and that, so I'm excited about that too. But yeah, all the all the animation from this from Rocket Ralph just looks amazing, and I'm super excited to finally see this movie in a few weeks when it finally comes out. All right, everyone, that's our show for the week. Don't forget you can follow us each individually on Twitter. I'm at Mark Vibbert, M A R C V I B B E R T. I'm at Questpack. Q-U-E-S-T-P-A-C-T. Or you can follow the show at Animated Podcast. Uh, and you can also follow our, our guest, uh, Bill Farmer, there on Twitter at GoofyBill. Uh, you can also feel free to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, visit our site at animationfascination.wordpress.com. Uh, and you can like us on Facebook just by searching for Animation Fascination. So, for myself, I'm Mark Bibbert, Matt Quest, and our guest, Bill Farmer. Thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in again next time, guys. Bewildering. And your values may be, so to speak, askew. Zentite. Thanks. Who deserves a hero's trophy as we face each catastrophe? Nobody else but you. No. Nobody else but you It's just our luck We're stuck together Nobody else but you It's crazy enough to believe we'll come through So your jokes are all, let's face it, prehistoric And your music sounds like monkeys in a zoo but when life becomes distressing, who will I be SOSing? If you're having trouble guessing, here's a clue. Though he seems intoxicated, he's just highly animated, and he's nobody else. A technical issue beyond our control. Hold on one second. All right, everyone, that's our show for the week. Uh, don't forget, you can do it. Fault the. <laughs> Whoops. And a mission fascination. All right, one more time.